Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. This is why customer service feels so lousy. Companies know how angry they can make you now and still win your business. This is so funny slash horrifying. And obvious. It's horrifarious. And, uh, and it's got to do with the amount of data that they can collect now. They record all the phone calls. So down to the, your tone of voice, how long you're on hold, um, you know, prices, all this. How far they can push you before you'll actually leave them and go to another company. So do they have like a red flasher that goes off as you're saying to the customer service idiot, listen, I've already told you how many... And and it, whoop, whoop. he's at a four. Your customer is at a four. Sir, I think we can help you. I'll tell you the key here in just a moment from the Wall Street Journal of what you got to do. we got a number of texts about this. And I've been complaining about customer service getting worse for a long time. Um, I wonder if some of it has to do with it's so hard to fire people, so you don't have to be as concerned about being a good employee. That could be part of it, right? If you're the yes. front desk person at a store... But they're related. They're related. Because if you, back in the day, you would be fired because there was a perception that we will lose this person's business if this person keeps abusing our customers like this. And now, you know, there's no no real incentive if you know how mad you can make people. You're not going to be proactive or careful about it. Yeah, but who's who? Yeah, yeah, and they've they've made the calculation that look they they don't like the the, the surly person at the front desk, but they're not going to leave us for that. So right. I'm not going to yeah. pay extra to get a happy person at the front desk. I I understand that calculation that they've made. Right. I hear your point though. I mean, if you can't fire people, you'll find a way to work around it. But now it is always amazing to me, and like I want to do something for this employee when it happens to me. Like you can go, you can go to some sort of store and you ask somebody. You know, I can't find the blank. Do you have any of these? No, we probably don't. Probably don't or don't. Right. I don't think we do. Well, are you sure? Is there a way you can check? Right. Or you run into the employee of you know that really works. No, I don't think. I think I, I think there might be somebody over here, and then they go look over there, and then I think we might have some back. Wait for just a second, and right. they and they like really go out of their way. Yeah. To make sure you get this thing, it's not going to have any effect on their pay. In fact, it was. It was more work for them to satisfy me than if they had just said, no, I think we're out of those. Right. But they did it anyway. Yeah. And I think that, I think mostly, most of the time now, it just comes down to your personality when you run into people that do that. But I'm always so pleased when I come across one of those people. I think, thank you. I really needed this X. And you got it for me. And if it had been a lot of other employees, I wouldn't have gotten this X because you had to do, you had to make. Two clicks on the computer to check and see if you have it in stock or walk 15 feet. <laughs> but a lot of people don't want to do that. You ever done the uh, phone first thing? You call and you say, hey, do you have any X in stock? And they say, yeah. Then you get there and they don't. And they oh, say, yeah. uh, computer said we did. Where's the shelf? It's right there. It's 10 feet away from me. You couldn't look. Couldn't eyeball it. <laughs> I got this text from somebody who worked in customer service. The major grocery store chain I worked for wanted me gone, I think, because I was too helpful and too many customers texted or emailed nice comments about me. I don't know if I buy that, but I like this part. 
Why would uh, you want to get rid of somebody? Well, like right. That? I, I, You're I, paranoid. I that, yeah, I think that's paranoid, but I like this part. I busted my butt for customers, except in the deli. I refuse to make sandwiches because that's a guaranteed complaint area. I refuse to repeatedly do the sandwich bar, so they encouraged me to resign. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making any damn sandwiches. <laughs> a deli. I'll bet that is the guaranteed complaint area. That's too much mayonnaise. <laughs> there, you do it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'm super picky about some stuff, but I just I can't get mad about that stuff. I just I don't uh, either. I, I definitely, life's too short. I definitely know people who do. Yeah, yeah. I think, how would you know how much mayonnaise I want? I don't think you did it on purpose to make me mad or anything like that. But. Right, right. Um, but so I, I ought to get to the key, the key thing here that the Wall Street Journal seems to suggest. Yes, please. You're abusing our customers by screwing around and not getting to the key thing. As they go through a bunch of people that in this particular had uh, situation had trouble with AT&T. That's amazing to me. I've found their customer service to be top-notch. AT&T, I'll tell you this. Should I even say this out loud? Probably not. Michael, what do go you ahead. think? Go ahead, as always. <laughs> Here's been my experience with AT&T, particularly oh, going around to the cell I phone stores. Your co-host said probably not. If you... If you go to a, a store with my iPhone and I say, I'm on this plan, can I get this? And they say no, go to a different store because you will get a different answer. Oh boy. I've had that happen over and over and over again. You get a different answer if you ask a different person or ask the same person in the, in the, a different person in the same store. But you will or get a different answer. go out the front door, put on a fake mustache, <laughs> go back in and ask the same person again. Adopt an accent. Right. <laughs> Hello, my friend. You will get a different answer. That's been my experience. But anyway... The telecom giant is among the companies employing artificial intelligence to gauge customers' behavior patterns and personalities to pair them with customer service agents. Wow. I wonder if I should come off belligerent right off the bat. And they say, okay, we got it. We got a live one here. This guy might actually leave. We got to get him to the customer service department oh, that's actually going to help him. That's this, a recipe for a pleasant society. Well, I, I, I understand, but I'm trying to game the system. No, this woman is pleasant and kind and polite. She'll put up with endless, like my mom or somebody. Let's abuse the crap She'll out of put her. up with endless crap. Right. So keep her on hold forever. She would never hang up or switch companies. If she ain't crying, we ain't trying. That's our <laughs> motto. Wow! <laughs> so be angry right off the bat. That's my suggestion. Boy, that's funny. I've my oh, God dang it. My my wife is so wonderful in so many ways, but she will get upset pretty quickly if she's being screwed or messed with or whatever. She she doesn't, you know. She goes to zero from six from zero to sixty a little quickly. That's the way to do it. Well, apparently it is. Apparently it is, and I've been wrong all these years. Saying, listen, it's a problem to solve. Work through it. We'll be good. I'm not sure with the customer service. It, it, it pans out. Just, and the rest of life, maybe, but yeah. not with the customer service people. Yeah. Uh, matching the right agent to customers improves the likelihood of a positive outcome. Measured by resolution rate and satisfaction scores, said an AT&T uh, spokesman that declined to uh, give their name. So they actually do take the person that seems pretty hot and get them to the, we better get this worked out person. Right. I mean, that's actually what's going on. And if you're wow. nice and pleasant and kind of, oh, okay, I was just hoping that, well, okay, never mind. Forget it. Forget it. I'm going to stomp on you. Um, and this is what they said happens in a number of industries. And I, I've, we've all had probably had this experience happen with, like, Dish or something like that. If you say you're going to cut them off, they will all of a sudden 
pull out all the stops to make sure you're happy. Sure. Yeah. They will get you the price you want. They'll get you the DVR you want. They'll get you the phone plan you want. But you have to actually be willing to walk out the door. Right. Which, Which is, is, you shouldn't have to negotiate that hardball. Yeah, but that is negotiating. I don't hate that. Of course, I, I hate negotiating less than a lot of people do. I, I get it for but, your boss or whatever, your job. But yeah, I hear on, you. It's just, I'm just a customer. I shouldn't have to threaten to leave to get somebody on the phone that's going to pay me any attention. Good Lord. What, it well, yeah, it that, wasn't that yeah. way for a hundred years. Right. Why is it now? Right. Well, because of algorithms because and of artificial algorithms. intelligence. They didn't know back in the old days... The little mom-and-pop hardware store didn't know they could push you as far as they could. And so they well, tried... Really maybe they were moral. Or nice. Or, or had a long-term view of things. Or Does this all get back to the whole quarterly reporting stocks thing? Everybody's just interested in this second. That and the mom-and-pop shop of any kind. Your kids go to school with their kids, and you're going to see them Thursday night at parent-teacher night, and they don't want to be a jerk to you. Right. There's that. But those stupid idiots have been crushed by first Walmart and then Amazon. Go away, mom and pop shops, with your idiotic service. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is best of Armstrong and Getty. We're on this topic. A lot of people should be on this topic. I think we talked to this guy when the book came out. It's, he's the author of The Boy Crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dr. Warren Farrell saying this. What, what I found is that in the prison population, in the ISIS population, in the mass shooter population, they all have in common a very high percentage, about 90% dad-deprived boys. And what happens when boys are dad-deprived is they don't have a male role model to channel their testosterone constructively. Um, and, so you do, and, and, and the male role model tends, in, a, in addition to being just a male role model, uh, dads tend to be much tougher on boundary enforcement, and the boundary enforcement creates postponed gratification, which leads the boys to being able to be successful at school or successful in sports, to feel more proud of themselves, not ashamed of themselves, not withdrawing, not feeling like an outsider. Wow, how good is that? Well, it's absolutely fantastic, and I would love to dig deep into that whole question because it's there is so much emotional, illogical uh, rhetoric being thrown around. Um, the idea that to say that is to somehow attack the single moms of the world. And single moms have become this weird sort of godhead in America now, where every politician constantly is mentioning single moms and how important it is to blah, blah, blah. And, and that's fine. And, and some of y'all are better off without the man or it was an accident or whatever. To say that a pitcher really needs a catcher is not a judgment as to the pitcher's sincerity as a baseball player. How many households is it true for where you do have mom and dad or a man and a woman uh, where the dad tends to be what he just said, more of the boundary setter, the more of no, we're not going to get that than the mom is. That's just right. It's every That's what I grew up with. That's what happens in our house and the people I know. Well, and anybody who would deny that the the, the vast majority of dads and moms conform to the following description is just. They haven't observed enough of life. Mom frequently, when little boy, little girl falls down, skins knee, is about concern, comfort, healing, etc. And dads are often, you're going to be fine. Pick yourself up. You're fine. Don't worry about it. It's just a little scrape. And we need both of those things. We need the balance. Have since the dawn of man. And to deny that is politically correct 
nonsense, which is not to say the single moms of the world or the single dads of the world aren't trying their damnedest and don't love their kids. But don't get into the stupid zero-sum argument. Right. Whether it's one or the other, that's just ridiculous. Right. To be pro-dad, you need not be anti-mom. Only an idiot would think that way. Why do I attack? Why do I lash out? We're talking about angry people lashing out and look at me. His, Probably because I really want a donut, and I'm not going to have one. His stat. Can you play the first part of that again? Because the stat is so good. Same approach at Google. That's uh, Ted Cruz. Why and apostrophe? What, what I found is that in the prison population, in the ISIS population, in the mass shooter population, they all have in common a very high percentage, about 90% dad-deprived boys. Okay, so there you go. ISIS... People in prison and your mass shooters, 90% dad-deprived. That's an overwhelming... That's not just the majority of... Or it tends to lean that way. Sure. No, that's practically everybody. Right. Wow. And, and as we learned the other day, the, the four commonalities uh, that are virtually 100% among these mass murderers, uh, my prefer, preferred term is that... Um, uh, is that they experience trauma, violence, abuse, uh, neglect, uh, bullying, that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of that, you know, comes from fatherlessness. Or if you've got a father who's a monster, um, same thing. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. Which, again, uh, and it's, you know, one of the challenges of doing this radio show is that we're not doing a six-hour-long podcast. Um, there's There are nuances. There are, there's tangents and tangents on those tangents that I think are pretty important to talk about. But we just don't have time. So spare us the angry email. Are you guys saying we just we don't have time to get to all of it? Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, my husband was abusive and blah, blah, blah. You think I should have stuck with him? That sort of thing. I'm just saving you the, the time it would take to write it and send it. We're not talking about that. But anyway, we got this absolutely fabulous note. It's um, it's related. It's from um, Rose, um, who's an English teacher, high school in English teacher. I'm talking about um, disconnected, angry, purposeless uh, young men. As a high school inner-city English teacher, for 30-plus years, I found what worked for me for angry, turned-off, and sullen young men. And this, oh my God, this is so out of uh, Jordan Peterson and his book, 12 Rules for Croquet? Success? Life? Ah, life, not croquet. Anyway, it's, this is so out of that. Um, what worked for me with the turned-off, angry, sullen young men, I would put them in a position of power. She says power. I would use the word responsibility. The first day or two, I would tell them my plan. If we have an actual real-life lockdown or crisis, I would tell the males how they need to help me. Um, take uh, the, the females to the back of the room, how they would be my backup if there would be, say, an active shooter. These young men for the last 20 years since Columbine would listen intently and take their stance to heart during school practice drills as I would describe how they needed to lift my heavy desk and barricade the door and also be my backup. Someone came through the door and would jump on them. They would be my backup to take the gun away. Besides a serious life and death scenario, I would choose these disconnected young men to take my attendance down to the office. After my lesson, I would choose another young man to check my teacher box and bring me back my mail. I would share a private joke with them when they accomplished their task. Tardies, I would have another one or others uh, document, take down the tardies, etc. Empower and recognize the yearnings for recognition. That's what I used. 
Any behavior problems, male or female, one has to recognize the problem, own it, and figure out what the student needs. Then keep your classroom open during lunch and talk to the students at lunchtime as if they were equals and pose special issues or problems and how to fix them. I would tell all my students how I couldn't believe I was being paid to be with them. Their smiles and their enthusiasm would make the hardest heart soft. Oh, my God. What a gift to humanity. Yeah. Rose, congrats. Don't get a big head or anything, but God bless you. That's beautiful. I'm surprised you get away with that. Um, I mean, can you do that in a modern public school? Say the guys are going to set the desk up here. Somebody sues implying that women aren't strong, Title IX, whatever the hell. And... Right, exactly. Yeah, that's demeaning to the girls in the class. Uh, that's amazing, and it, it just repeats something we've observed over and over and over again. A friend was just telling me about uh, a documentary he'd seen about yet another miserable, failing inner-city school that was taken over by a dynamic, demanding a black woman. And it was a heavily black neighborhood who said, yeah, nobody's failing around here. I know you can succeed. You're going to succeed. And by God, the kids succeeded. No, it's not as simple as that. They have to be given the tools. They have to be encouraged. They, you know, there's, there's you know, counseling involved. But it's about high expectations, not about demeaning people and telling them, and this is the most insidious message in American politics in the last century, you can't succeed. You cannot succeed because of your color or where you were born or your religion or whatever. No way. You need me as a politician to save you because you cannot succeed. That is a poisonous, slanderous, horrific message. And if I could stamp it out, I would. There's no doubt about it that the the whole mass shooting thing is uh, primarily a young man thing. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So it is my belief that the election is now a referendum on Joe Biden's mental capabilities. Mm. It's just that. Mm. If, he, if, he, if he reaches the bar of acceptable, good enough to be president, he wins. If he doesn't, he loses. I think it, that's just where we're I think that's what all the the commentary and, uh, and and jabs from opponents are going to be from here on out. You think it's it's now out in the open. Yeah, it's just yeah. a full-on narrative. Not even as much uh, with uh, Julian Castro's completely uh, DB move during the debate. Mm-hmm. Um, the Senator uh, Cory Booker going on CNN and in calm tone saying, look, a lot of us are concerned sometimes when we hear Joe talking. And he's sort of all over the place. Yeah. If whether I not, said, hey, Esther. Whether or not he's the guy that can actually get the ball across the finish line. Right. And I, th- I think that's just the conversation now. And can he or can't he? I just uh, was reading a piece from the Rolling Stone. Uh, I remember when they uh, would write about guitar players and getting high on drugs. But they're talking about how, uh, and, and of course, this whole thing has the assumption that Trump is a racist. Everybody knows he's a racist. And white supremacy is on the rise and blah, blah, blah. That whole narrative, which is mostly bunk but anyway um having assumed that they said look we need somebody who's really sharp at the anti-racist thing to run against trump to draw the contrasts and make him look like a boob and the rest of it and they said biden ain't that guy i mean the the the, the most floundering he ever gets is when he's trying to talk about race and his record and that sort of thing is witnessed by the debate which was, uh, I mean, just at times bizarre as he rambled on and on. Um, 
Oh, and, and you know what? I think it's a pretty good point. Well, in the last hour here. From their on. perspective. In the first hour, he was pretty good. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, it's, fine. it's just, you know, don't have him on stage for three hours, I guess. Well, um, Corn Pop was a bad dude. Well, so getting back to Corn Pop. So what, yeah. where does this clip come from in the ongoing search for uh, information about well, Joe Biden's was, brain? I think it was right after Corn Pop put Lucky Charms in the hospital for like six weeks. And really established himself as a bad dude. Captain Crunch was out on leave, so there was lawlessness right. about. <laughs> right, right. Tony Tiger saw it was having, ran for the hills. But, which just shows you how bad a dude Corn Pop was. So where does this come from? I, I, this was from 2017. Uh, I don't know the exact uh, circumstance of the event, but he seems to be at some sort of park talking about a swimming pool that I believe he used to be a lifeguard at. Well, oh, yeah, he yeah, was a he lifeguard. Was, he was given a speech fundraiser type thing. I learned a lot. And I learned that uh, it makes a difference. This was the diving board area, and I was one of the guards, and there were not a, there was a three-meter board. And you fell off sideways, you landed on the, damn, uh, the darn cement over there. <laughs> and Corn Pop was a bad dude, and he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did, yeah, he, and back in those days, you show how things have changed. One of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off, and he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, these were all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate out here. I parked my car outside the gate. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He was waiting for three guys in straight racers. Not a joke. There's a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. He was the mechanic. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement. We're about halfway through. Uh, I'm trying to stay with it because it sounds like an interesting story. He just jumps around a little. A lot of characters. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement where mechanics, where, where, where all the pool builder is. You know, the chain, there used to be a chain that went across the deep end. Oh, boy. And he cut off a six-foot length of chain. He folded up. He said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. Yes. I said, you kidding me. Wow. <laughs> he said, no, if you don't, don't come back. And he was right. So I walked out with the chain. And I walked up to my car. Can you and pause they had it? No- Do you hear the people bussing in the background? Where the hell is this story going to end? You, you realize there are kids here, right? Because I can hear kids' voices. This whole razor blade. So, so they're going to slice you, and you're going to chain whip them, and, and then then the kids are going to have nightmares. Wow, go on, Uncle Joe. And I walked up to my car, and they had step. Those days, you used to remember the straight razor. You'd bang them on the curb, no, get them rusty, put them in a rain barrel, get them rusty. What? 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 I looked at them. So you having a good time, Joe? So you're you're getting your straight razors rusty, so you like inf- give your opponent an infection wow, this is quite after a you story. slash him. If if he that could, is a tough hood, man. It, it's a heck of a story if he could tell it better. Oh. And they had step those days. Used to remember the straight razor. You'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in a rain barrel, or just get them rusty. Some of your pomade on them. And I looked at him, but I was smart then. I said, first of all, I said, when I tell you to get off the board, you get off the board, and I'll kick you out again. But I shouldn't have called you, Esther Williams. I apologize for that. <laughs> I apologize. But I didn't know that apology was going to work. Okay, good. 
I didn't catch that the first. Well, because he didn't make it clear. Well, I so didn't when he know, said, yeah. "Hey, Esther," that was a Esther Williams was a famous female swimmer, so that was Who just wore a, a bathing cap, uh, right? Yeah, so, uh, famously in the <sighs> movies. So now I get the Esther that's reference an anyway. Timey, like from the forties. Wow, sort of forty three screw old. Where the hell did that come from? I told you what I shouldn't have called Esther Williams. That's pretty funny, and I apologize. But I will chain whip you. That's why I brought my apology chain out with me. I can see you're going to cut me with your rusty razor, but I want the apology chain. I apologize, but I didn't know that apology was going to work. He said, you apologize to me? I said, I apologize, but I'm not for throwing you out, but I apologize for what I said. He said, okay, close the straight razor, and my heart began to beat again. And that's story time with Uncle Joe. And, and I went down the street and chain whipped a different guy just to stay in practice. And that's why you should vote for Prop 32. <laughs> now, who's something. up for a nice bowl of corn pops? <laughs> you know, I read a, um, uh, I read this book about politics. I've mentioned many times the greatest book ever written about elections called What It Takes. But it's got a biography of all these different candidates, and it happened to be 1988, so Joe Biden was included. And he was a kid in school. So he grew up a rich kid when he was really young. Then his dad lost his job, and they ended up being completely poor and oh broke boy. and moving to a bad neighborhood, which part of what um, you know informs his view of the world, rich versus poor and the different life and the way you're treated and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah. But he was a tough guy, and, and, uh, and, and kids would, to get out of fights, you'd say, I'm friends with Joey Biden, and people would be like, okay, well, I'm out then. Wow. Was, was his rep. At the time, I didn't know he was getting to chain knife fights, rusty knife fights. Right, exactly. <laughs> wow. You know how it is? You'd bang it on the curb or you'd put it in the rain barrel. No, I didn't the grow rain up that barrel. way. I mean, uh, what's a rain barrel? <laughs> <laughs> Just to get it rusty. So, you know, you'd, you'd give him a number of different infections. So he had an Esther Williams blast, a rain barrel comment <laughs> right. to go with his record player comment from Thursday night. So he might said, hey, Esther. His references are going to become part of the uh, the entertainment. Yes, yes. Wow. But that's just an age thing. That's not a I'm crazy thing. The rambling part. Whew. See, like I like like I kept saying on uh, Friday morning was, if he goes on one of those that that last answer he gave in the debate, the long rambling record players send them into the homes. And by the way, Venezuela. And what are we talking about right. now? Uh, how does Trump respond to that? I think Trump just turns to the crowd and says, what was that? Right. And everybody right. just goes crazy. Right, just rolls his eyes. If that had been the first half hour of the debate, I think the conversation would be very different. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's funny. I was just about to bring up the fact that, hmm, I was going to say the vast majority of voters, a huge, huge number of voters did not watch the debate. Correct. Um, or did not get that far into the debate. And those of us who are really into this in the echo chamber, and we just kind of enjoy politics, um, we're so much more aware of it and, and critically interested in it. And then on Election Day, when it comes down to a, a binary choice, that sort of thing will probably vanish into the mist. Mm. I say probably because that sort of rambling nonsense he issued forth in the last half hour that's a sign of something. Yeah, that's, and we'll see more of it. Yeah, that wasn't a, a like a slip or a gaffe that you can recover. Right, that's right. That's just who he is. Right. And that's who he's going to be for the I next... Said, hey, Esther. <laughs> Put on some Venezuelan records. We'll clean up the black folks' communities. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. 
Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Ashley Tisdale says she takes men to Disneyland to break up with them. <laughs> the men say the toughest part was having to do the Nemo submarine voyage of shame. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a stretch, but... Mm. Gonna attempt Ashley Tisdale. Is that some sort of a hot uh, celebrity part. girl I'm supposed to know? I guess, yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay. It's an expensive breakup ticket, isn't it? Do you Maybe. do it in line because they're already depressed and want to die? <laughs> I uh, hate lines. I don't know about the public breakups. I know the theory behind it. I think you're I think you made a bad choice to get into a relationship if you think you need to be in public for safety or they won't go as crazy Why or something. Why do you think i got to end it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. These things are not always clear, you know, at the beginning. That's the whole deal. Yeah, I've never done, I've never done that on either end. It's always been in private, but... Uh, I'm a I, fan of ghosting. Just <laughs> stop returning calls till they figure it out. I know a guy who uh, never would eat at Wendy's. He's uh, a good dude, but he wouldn't eat at Wendy's because his wife told him she wanted a divorce at Wendy's. Oh, man. When they were eating lunch. I could see that. It's just the way the brain works. Something about the French fries? What do you mean the way the brain works? Well, just everything, all the visuals, the auditory, the smells oh, why would you remind you of that okay. moment. Okay. Yeah, I, I he has meant, my sympathy. I thought you meant you'd see why she would dump him at a Wendy's. <laughs> oh, well, you see a lot of handsome fellas there yeah, choking down their triples. It's only 99 cents for a Frosty, and everybody feels better after a Frosty. Yeah, right, I would, exactly. I would be pretty unhappy if you did that to me. Don't, don't do this in public where I'm going to be clearly really upset. And, you know, I'm down in, in public, and i got to drive home, and just, it's, it's not cool. Well, and unless you're quite young and don't understand that you've been maneuvered, it's a little demeaning to understand that you've been maneuvered. Right. Well, oh, that's why we, you wanted to come here? Why don't we just sit down on a... All right. Yeah, I know. I know. I, uh, it's, it's funny that I don't know why it brings, well, I know why it brings this to mind. But, um, when our beloved Black Lab Onyx passed away, you know, it was a tough day. Y'all who, who love your pets, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, um, and then when we got our new dog, Baxter, and this was two years later, I happened to pull into the same parking space at the vet as when we put Onyx to sleep. And Judy and I realized it at the same time, and the rush of emotions was just like being drenched with water. And so, yeah, I could see the guy. I wouldn't even be able to look at a Wendy's. That's interesting. I've just recently started to believe this sort of stuff. Witchcraft? uh, Witchcraft, yeah. Because I know you've gotten heavily into it. (laughs) And uh, human sacrifice. Right. I've just recently started to believe in the power of it. Light as a feather, (laughs) stiff as a board, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. What? Um... Is that um, an incantation or something? I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, the whole triggering mechanism of uh, uh, people's places and sounds and that sort of stuff. And sure, I, just, yeah. I just never really bought into it that much. Um, I did have experience uh, a couple of years ago that I was at the same hospital for a checkup long after my cancer treatment. And I got out of my car. I parked in the parking lot that I parked at every day when I was doing radiation for several months. Every single day you have to go. Um and I was sick at the time. So here's, like, a couple of years later, I think, I get out of my car and I start shuffling along. And I, why am I shuffling? I'm fine. Yeah. I just started walking the way I used to walk oh, when I would go to the the, the, the radiation treatments because that's the only way I could walk then. I mm-hmm. thought that was weird. So, night before last, you remember the story yesterday from me going crazy on the cookie dough. Do we? You should see our group text about it. It's still rolling. <laughs> hilarious. I gained yeah. two hey, full pounds. Hey, the hippo Jeff was hilarious, Michael. <laughs> Just Glad saying. you liked it. 
So night before last, I eat, we think, the equivalent of a dozen and a half cookies in cookie right. dough. It was impressive. And I actually said to my wife yesterday, I said, I'm, I, I am seriously a little troubled by that. What happened? Why did I do that? I've never done anything like that before. I've never, it's just, why did I do that? She said, you don't know why you did that? Your son, who looks like you and has the same name, had a medical procedure just like your cancer treatment. And when you were a kid, you were in the hospital all the time and had to be held down to have needles put in you. You held him down while a needle was put in you, put in him. Same thing you've gone through as an adult and a child. You don't think that might have had some impact on... Uh, a, a need to like escape or make yourself feel different or something like that. Yeah, for a yeah. I thought, you know, that does actually kind of make some sense. That's some sol- solid analyzing right yeah. there. I never even thought about it, but it makes yeah. perfectly good sense. Traumatic experiences as a child and an adult that were exactly like what he did. Right. But and I played a role in it even. Right. Yeah, extra powerful. But like so many things the social justice warrior classes inflicted on us, the idea if somebody disagrees with you, you're triggered and you're going to fall apart emotionally. I mean, it's just it's just well. And then the dumb. other the other side of it is I don't have to blame anybody for it. Just well, and you don't have to ask other people to alter their behavior. You're not going to have a, write an angry letter to Wendy's demanding they change their decor and get rid of the the red haired girl and maybe come up with some brunette. I mean, <laughs> just, deal with it. That There's, guy is dealing with it. But you. so ah, do you yes. believe that sort of thing? You believe that sort of thing? That that little tale that I just spun out from my well, wife's theory. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, you really? You saw that? I would have. Ne- I, that would have never crossed my mind in a million years. Mm. Connecting those things. Oh, I don't know it if I would have been able to, to connect me. the dots, but having it explained makes a lot of sense. That you went through this and you sought, you did something outside of the normal behavior to kind of self-soothe. That makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people do that in a lot of different ways. Uh, on the other hand, I wouldn't put too much weight in that because cookie dough is frigging delicious. Right, there is that. And you just got started on the cookie dough train. Whoop, whoop. It's hard to get off. <laughs> Once you seriously now. I didn't have those experiences. I didn't have to, you know, do that for my child. Um, at least not recently. Um but if there were a cookie dough in front of me, I'd gorge like a hog. So I don't. There's uh, the truth to both <laughs> both explanations. Yesterday, at the end of uh, Henry's two day infusion, then you know, then they take the thing out of your arm. What do you call that? The thing they got in your arm? Got uh, a name? Yes. So they put it in yes, originally. It does. Is that also called a stint? I feel like I'm. I think mis- it might be. It might be. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. so they put that in his arm a on stint? Monday morning, and then it stays in for two days, so you yeah. don't have to get jabbed twice, and they just right. tape it off and everything. Like that. One jabbing's plenty. But then it was time to take it off, and he insisted that he do it himself. And uh, so he undid the tape, and then he was, like, shaking and really bothered, and he yanked, pulled it out of his arm. Oh, little fella. He awesome. He wanted to do it himself. I don't know why, but then he was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Off to the races. Wow. And so far, the medicine is really working. I'm absolutely really? amazed. Oh, oh yeah. God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so night and day difference. After the first infusion last month, he and his brother played together in ways that they hadn't played together in years. Wow. Just He hasn't been able to do that sort of thing in years. Um, it was just amazing. It's like he's a different kid. Yeah, that's astounding. Is there is one more schedule? I think or? we're doing six. Six? Yeah. Oh, golly. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Sounds like the little lad is, you know, approaching it with more and more courage, and and it's doing so. Oh, good thank God and... for modern medicine, though. That's what I got to oh, think about kidding? all the time. Or if I live in another country or different circumstances or whatever, and, and nope. you, you don't get the diagnosis and don't that, that's a kid that never goes to school and can and a, and a human being that can never have a job. 
Right. And if this works the way it looks like it's going to work, he'll be in regular school, I hope, um, at some point, maybe even next year, and be able to work a regular job and be yeah. a regular human being. Mm-hmm. But without that medical care that you couldn't get in some countries or in different eras, not a chance. He has no chance of uh, being anything other than just dependent on family or the state. Right. His whole life. It's right. incredible. Good it's to be a born little, in a, America. Yeah, it's a little sobering to think. but Oh, hell yeah, it it's is. Just, it's, you know. And got him on the right side of it. Do you get the sense that he's connecting the dots? That oh yeah, that these un, these uncomfortable treatments lead to him being able to play with his brother oh, and absolutely. lead to other good things. Absolutely, That's he knows great. the difference. He really yeah. wants to be able to go to school. He wants to be able to do all the things. He's never had a birthday party. He's he's never done all these different things that he's seen his brother do, and he he knows that this is, could be the difference maker. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you know, I've thought about this a lot. I haven't in a while because my kids are big, but I would have definitely lost two of my kids and maybe all three. If I'd lived in the 1800s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just from things like an ear infection or, you know. Yeah, they all had fairly rampant infections that were life-threatening, but they were dealt with. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, including, you know, the burst appendix and the rest of it. Of course, your brother, uh, your genetics are different than mine. Your brother's appendix burst, and he just gutted it out for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Went to work. They made him go home. (laughs) Hilarious. (sighs) Wow. That's some stern stuff. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show.